Welcome to Reliance's Sunday Sermon. Worship with us at 8, 9.30, or 11 o'clock a.m. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for what you're going to do today. We give you this time, Lord. We know, Jesus, that you can stop time. And we give you this time. Speak forth your word and whatever it is that you want to speak to us. Holy Spirit, we lean on your words today and not ours. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, real, I forgot one thing. We got our new prayer calendars out there. Grab one of those before you leave for April. We love to pray together. We're a house of prayer first and foremost. They're back there on the table, so grab one of those. Um, I really had this burden on my heart today uh, to pray for um, truth and love. Everybody say truth, truth. and love. Truth and love, and, and it was just stirring in me over the last few weeks, and then we had a Bible study, and, and something just really broke loose in my heart of going, we, we need this more than ever before. We need truth and love, and so it's been burning on my heart to talk about truth in our current culture. What does truth look like in our current culture, specifically truth regarding the whole of Scripture? How do we speak boldly all of scripture, knowing it's gonna war against people's hearts. How do we speak boldly, yet how do we do it in love? And so what we know is that Jesus' words echo throughout eternity, that his word is hope, and his word is healing, and his word is power, and his word brings peace, and his word is life-giving. And so if we know that these words have a changing effect on all of eternity, then how do we speak those boldly yet still in love? And uh, really really, what it, it comes down to, and, and, and I feel this way strongly, is that when we talk about the truth of Scripture, if you look at Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, Jesus says. And then he says those infamous words, go, right? And everybody grabs that rally and we're like, let's go. And, and we do that. That's why we go into missions. That's why we do what we do in the Great Commission. But then we forget what the go is going to represent. And the go represents two things. And we're pretty good with one, right? The go says baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We all love that part. Because the baptism is the symbolism that they have given their life to Jesus. And so we love it. We check our box. We're like, people are getting saved. We count them up. We're like, 3,000 people gave their life to you. Whatever it is, right? And we love the salvation part. But the part that always gets neglected is the second part. Baptizing them in the name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And here's what he says. And teaching them to what? Obey or observe everything that I have commanded. And so what we do is we forget that part. So then what happens is you get a bunch of people psyched up for the Lord. They've got salvation in their hearts. And then because we've not done a good job in teaching the whole counsel of God, somebody else from the outside tells them what they should believe and shouldn't believe. And so you see this in our culture. The battle in our days will be for the battle of truth contending against false teaching or simply ignorance in Scripture. We, we have an overload. We have an absolute overload of information that comes into our, our life. We have all this information, and so the question is, how do we know it's true, and how do we know it's false? Well, luckily, Facebook is so kind to give us fact-checkers. <laughs> right? 
right? So we can't get it, right? We, we can't get it from there because everything is jaded. So how do we know what truth is? It's, it's one of those things that we're always after. How do I know what the truth is? It's probably the first thing that we learned when we were kids. It may be the first thing that you teach your kids, like do not lie, right? Like do not lie. Maybe you learned it, like do not lie. Why? Because from a very young age, at like two, three years old, there's something in them that's innately ingrained because of sin nature that says, I should lie about this. Just ask kids when they get into the Easter candy early and chocolate is all over their face and it's oozing out of their nose. And you ask them, did you get into your Easter candy? And they go, no. It's coming out of your nostrils. No. Like who teaches them that? Where does that come from? There's this nature in us before the truth of Jesus has come in. There's this nature in us that's corrupted. It's why we have a sin nature. It's why we need him. Amen, church. And then we come into the truth and we know the truth sets us free. It's what scripture says. But there's something in us that wants to buy into that word where we can just be like, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. There's this lie that's in our life that's from our sin nature. And so we teach our kids, and probably the first thing that we learn, do not lie. We all want the truth. Deep down inside, we want the truth. We value the truth. But the problem is we really like our own versions of it. The version that fits me, the truth that complements me, the truth that speaks to me. And often we don't think about the truth that speaks to the heart of God, which is his word. And it's crazy how much we've taken the truth of God for granted. I grew up in the church my whole life, and I just assumed that everybody was going to believe the Bible, right? I just made this assumption. The Bible's always been truth. You, you grew up in that era, and you would go to court. If you ever went to court, and you would see them put their hand on the Bible, and they say, you promised to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you. God, and they would put their hand on the Bible, and so all of a sudden, truth, the universal truth was the Bible. There was a time they were like, universally, the, if you put your hand on the Bible and you lie, everybody knows you're a liar. How quickly things have changed. And so there's this, this truth that we're after, and what we see is that we, we do, we, we want the truth, we, we war over truth, and I would say the war over truth has never been stronger, but it seems the church's resistance to deception has never been weaker. Because we've seen deception sink into the church, and you ask people, just shoot me straight, just give me, just give me the word, just tell me what the word says about whatever it is. And then you say, here's what the word says, and you're like, I don't like you, man. Like, that hurt my feelings. Well, you told me to shoot you straight. And so here we see this funny term that's floating around in our culture today, and this word is deconstructing faith. Have you seen that? Deconstruction of faith, and, and I'm, I, look, it's been around for years, but it's really taken steam over the last, I'll say, a couple of years where people like deconstructing their faith. And, and there's probably some good things in it. I'm sure if you grew up and you got beat by Scripture, if you got beat down and you never felt worthy and you never felt like you had an identity in Christ and you never felt like you're going to be good enough, then there is some deconstruction. Because the Lord talks about your identity more than that. He talks about who you are, Right? talks about your sonship, and so there is some, but, but overall, when you hear that word deconstruction of faith, what it's really pointing to is that somewhere along the line, you read something in scripture that didn't jive with your heart, didn't jive with your lifestyle, 
didn't, 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 didn't like some of the ways and maybe which we were living. And so what we've done is we've just said, well, just deconstruct that. Just tear that down. And so one of the big ones that's out there is the purity culture. If you grew up in the 80s and 90s, you got all the purity culture that was blowing through, right? And so what I hear with, with, with talks about deconstructing faith is that somehow the Bible talking about purity wasn't good. Somehow the Bible saying things about purity, we just got to deconstruct that because that's nonsense because we live in a sex-saturated culture. And so what I'm hearing in this is going, you know what? People who told us to remain pure back in those days, they were mean. And I'm like, ah. So the church is supposed to apologize that scripture talks about purity and we're supposed to apologize that somehow we wounded your heart. And I'm not saying that people were beat down. Please hear me. I'm not saying that all of it was good, but at the end of the day, the word of the Lord is good. And so then you've got the other ones where it talks about like, don't talk about sin because we live in a culture where everybody's got their different terminology of what sin is. And so when we talk about sin, you gotta deconstruct that. Somehow what the Bible says is sin, if it doesn't jive or align with your heart, somehow you gotta deconstruct that because we shouldn't talk about sin because it hurts me. Get over it. It actually is because he loves you. I'm, I look, I, I don't mean get over it like in a way of going, you know, whatever. I'm saying like get over the fact that the Bible talks about sin, but it talks about how Jesus came to take your sin. Like this isn't a story about how bad you are, this is a story about how good he is. And this is why all of this truth has to be rooted in him. It's not, it's not about, oh, you wicked people, it's about, oh, you, you God that's so amazing. And so all of it's got to point back to him. It's about knowing him. This is what Matt was talking about in John 5 when he said, Jesus says you search the scriptures and you know the scriptures, but you don't know who they're about. And he's like, they're about me. It's about this relationship and knowing him. It makes me think about when we first fall in love. When we first fall in love, what do we do when we first fall in love? We study that person. We get to know their likes and their dislikes. I'm talking about that first love encounter with them. And then when Valentine's Day comes up or their birthday comes up, you know so much about them that you're going to get them the ultimate gift. When I was growing up, the ultimate gift was the mixed tape, right? And 90% of it in my generation was Robin Hood songs, the real one, the Kevin Costner Robin Hood, right? I died for you, right? Okay. Or Garth Brooks, the dance, whatever. It doesn't matter, right? But the point is you mixed a tape for them. And what that said to them is I've studied you. I know your likes and your dislikes. I know that these songs right here are going to speak to your heart. It means you put time and effort and energy into it. And then what happens along the road is you get to a place in your relationship which no longer about, you are the man, thank you. It's no longer about getting to their heart and studying them. It's about the token gift where you get to the place where you're like, oh, Valentine's Day's coming. Uh, I'm gonna get flowers. And you know that your love says, I can't stand flowers. But it's the token response. I got you chocolate. I got you flowers. Whatever. What it means is for a while that's going to last. But there comes a time where you realize in your heart, the only reason I'm getting chocolate and flowers is because I have not studied you any longer. 
I don't know what you like and I don't know what you dislike. And so when we talk about scripture and the truth, it means we're studying the word so that we know what Jesus likes and what he doesn't like. It's the same thing when it comes down to truth. We can't like a little bit of him and then some other parts we don't really like of him. There was never, I don't remember, when I fell in love with my wife, I remember we'd be, you know, laying out in the field, you know, picnic or whatever, and, you know, you'd be doing, like, the sweet little thing where you're like, baby, if my nose fell off, would you still love me? And I was like, no. No, I never said that. I'm just joking. But you know what I'm saying. And you're like, of course I would still love you. And you're like, ah, right? Like, if my, whatever, right? Like, if something else. Anyways, what you're saying is, I love you. I just love you. I love all of you. Or like my daughter and I will play a game where, you know, she'll say, Daddy, I love you to infinity. And I'll say, Baby, I love you to infinity plus infinity. And we just play this game. Could you imagine? She says, Daddy, I love you to infinity. And I go, Trinity, I love you about 50%. She'd be like, Dad, you're jacked up. <laughs> because at the end of the day, this is how we do Jesus. We say to Jesus, it's like, hey, I love most of your word, all the stuff about the promises and the blessings and the goodness. I love it. But the woes and the piercings and the the hard stuff, not so much. And this is what we do is we like treat the word of God like somehow we can half love him. And so this is what the scripture is talking about when it talks about truth and love. It's quite possible that we love the idea of God but not who he really is. Um, I'm reading this book called The Reset, and he says these words. He says, we're, we're the most self-aware generation in history. We've taken every kind of personality test there is. We've filled ourselves with our wisdom. We're experts in self-love and self-care. We're experts. We know all the five love languages, <laughs> and we talk about which ones speak to us. He says, we've learned so well how to love ourselves and so little how to love the Lord. And this is why 2 Timothy 3 says, mark this in the end times, man, people will know how to love themselves. They'll be lovers of themselves, lovers of pleasure, lovers of money, lovers of greed, disobedient. And it will talk about everything that speaks to your heart, having a form of godliness but no power. Because we've learned to love ourselves so well, but we've not learned to love him so well. And he says these words, It's time for the sword of the spirit, the word of God, to be wielded again. (laughs) Hebrews 4.12 says, The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit. The word of God pierces to the division of both soul and spirit. Let me tell you about those two things real quick. There are soulish things in us that are not of God. There are things that we would call the flesh that are soulish. It's what I want. It's the things for me. It's my pleasure, my thing. This is what I want. There are soulish things, and and it comes in, and it pierces that, and it shows you dividing between what's soulish and what's spirit, and the things of the spirit are the things of God. Amen? And so what it's doing is the word of God is coming in to show you that there are soulish things in us. In Galatians, he's going to talk about this. There is a war right now in your heart. The soulish things are trying to attack the spiritual things. And the spiritual things are trying to attack the soulish things. And there's a war to see which one wins out. And the word of God comes in and it tells you which one's going to win out. And he says, 
division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from its sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must all give account. There is this reality that scripture is our judge and not the other way around, amen? We are not just reading scripture, you've heard this before, but scripture is reading us. Like, what do we feel about this? I read a post on somebody's uh, Facebook post one time, uh, and it was uh, somebody who says, hey, I'm a Christian, but I'm just not one of those Christians who thinks that your sin is that bad. And they said, um, you know, the whole sin, like hate the sin, but love the sinner. They go, I, I just don't, I think we can still love the sin that you're doing as well. And I'm like, I don't think we're reading the same Bible. <laughs> and this is why he has this quote. He says, Jeremy, Jeremy Riddle in his book, The Reset, the empowerment of personal opinion on social media has deluded us into thinking our opinions hold weight against the word of God. I wonder if we've been so trained by a democratic, consumer-driven society that we've forgotten that the kingdom of God is not a democracy, but a theocracy, a government in which his word and his word alone stands. We must return to our senses to know this. When it comes to the word of God, the online uproar and outcry of seething, opinionated objections and dissenting voices has absolutely zero weight. Come on. And then he says, and this one... This one was tough. We keep finding ways to insulate our hearts from the words of God, to dismiss them, to customize them or alter them. We highlight and declare the promises of Scripture, but willfully ignore its warnings, judgments, and piercings. This is the problem. We overemphasize one aspect of the truth, but neglect its equally important counterparts. We always must end up, and then he says, and when we do that, we almost always end up with something that's heretical, not true. And so it's this, this thing with scripture and, and what we're saying with this is that there's this truth that we as believers have to buy into even though it's gonna war against our sensibilities. It's going to offend us. I could read a thousand scripture verses today, but we do not have time. I'm telling you right now, it is going to offend you. And it should. If we're in the word, it should offend our worldly sensibilities. If there are things that we're in that are not in scripture or that scripture kind of speaks about, it should offend our heart. Scripture says that Jesus is the rock of offense. Jesus says in Matthew 11, he's gonna tell the disciples, you're gonna see healings, you're gonna see blind men get their sight, you're gonna see guys take their mats and walk, you're gonna see the resurrection of the dead. And all the disciples are like, we're gonna see signs and wonders and miracles. And then Jesus says these words, he says, but when you hear these words of mine, do not be offended. And so what he's saying is you're gonna see some beautiful things, but you're gonna hear some rough words that are gonna war against your heart because it's gonna go against the sensibilities that you want. And so, we have this mandate on us to speak the truth, but to speak the truth in love. And, and I gotta tell you something that, that, that uh, Paul wrote. I wanna read this one thing real quick in Acts chapter 20. Paul, Paul in Acts chapter 20, 22, he's at the end of his life and he says these words. He says, I'm gonna go to Jerusalem I, I've, I'm, the Holy Spirit's constraining me to go. He knows that Jerusalem means death. He says, I don't know what will happen there. I don't know what God's gonna do, but God has showed me one thing, that when I go, imprisonment and afflictions await me. Yay, God. <laughs> right? He's like, look, I'm not gonna tell you what's gonna happen, but you're gonna get a beat down. Are you ready? Thank you, Lord. Right? 
And then he says these words, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. So here's Paul. We're the self, most self-aware generation. What speaks to my heart, what's good for me, feelings, emotions, right? And Paul's going, I do not consider my life as precious to myself. He knew that the Lord finds his life precious. And Paul's like, I'm not going to count it precious because I have a ma- mandate on my life. I have a task in front of me, and that's to testify to the whole grace of God. And whatever happens to me happens to me. And he says the words, I only know that I'm supposed to finish my course in the ministry that I've received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone out proclaiming the kingdom will see me again. Therefore, I testify, listen what he says, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. And here's why he's innocent. For I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. I'm going to put myself in a category. I don't know how many pastors, leaders, teachers. I'm sure there's lots of, but like can read that and go, man, I know in my life I have shrunk back at times. I don't want, like if I say that, it's going to offend somebody's heart. And I'm like, it's, it's almost as if what I'm saying is, Lord, I know your truth, but I'm afraid to declare it. I just wonder if maybe that resonates with you. And he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you an overseer. You're an overseer with your family and your friends. You're an overseer. To care for the church of God, which he obtained in his own blood. We, we don't own this. We're stewarding God's church. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in. Fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. And he says, be alert. If we don't know all of it, we will be led astray. what do we do with this? We, we speak truth in love. And how do we speak truth in love? 1 Corinthians 13, 16 says, love does not reject, uh, rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. And Ephesians 4, 15 says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Let me just tell you, when you speak the truth in love, somebody will know if you're regurgitating information or they will know if you actually love them. If I came to Angie and I knew that she was wavering in something and I'm a brother in Christ and she's my sister in Christ and I knew that she was, you know, dabbling in some things that maybe aren't the best for her. If I came to her and opened my Bible and said, Angie, this is what scripture says. You are a wretched sinner. <laughs> Does that bode well with you? No, <laughs> okay. But if I came to you, Angie, or my wife came to you and said, Angie, man, we love you. Like We care deeply for you. And I know there's some things you're wrestling with and man, I just... Like, I've got things in my life, and we're hurting through some things as well, but man, can we walk together that we can begin to pursue holiness and and purity in Christ? Like, Angie's going, like, that's somebody who cares deeply for me. Because standing up and opening our Bible and saying, you're terrible, you're horrible, whatever, is not getting to the heart. And so how do we speak truth in love? Real quickly, we listen before we speak. 
James 1.19, slow to speak, quick to listen. We check ourselves. Number two, what are our motives? Am I puffed up? Is this what I'm trying to do is just show you that you're wrong? Psalm 19.14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Number three, we watch, we watch our words. Did you guys know that harsh words can hurt people? Anybody know that? Scripture says that you have the power in your words to speak life or death. James 3, 9 through 10 says, with our mouth, with our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with the same one, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessings and cursings, and he's gonna say, how can this be? Like, why are you doing that? That's what he's basically saying. Number four, Pray before, after, and during the conversation. The whole time that you're speaking truth with somebody, you're in a constant state of prayer because I promise you, as you pray, the Holy Spirit's gonna get to their heart much quicker than you will. And then five, trust in God. Speaking the truth in love will be difficult because it's gonna seem costly in the short run. I'm just gonna be straight with you. When I speak the truth over my kids, especially my teenagers, they don't like it. And I speak it over them, and they're just like, oh, you're so mean, whatever. And for a short time, they go and they pout in their rooms. Sometimes for a long time, praise the Lord, right? <laughs> but they go and they pout in their rooms. And I'm like, oh, God, that hurts my heart. Like, did, I don't want to hurt our relationship. But over time, as they come out, and they've had time to dwell on it, in the long run, they're like, Dad, I realize that what you said was because you love me. Everything in here is about his love for you. So I'm just going to pray over us, and then we're going to dismiss, and we're going to say, Lord, have your way with our hearts. Amen? All right. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day today and all the things that happened in it from missions reports to dedications. God, we're so grateful. And now, Jesus, we ask that before we leave this house today, that your truth the truth of the word will be burned on our hearts. We can no longer, Jesus, neglect the parts that we don't like. We can no longer, Jesus, compromise and sweep under the rug the places that we, we, we feel differently about because we know that feelings and emotions never dictate truth. Your word does. So I'm just asking for a faithful people, God, who will not shrink back from proclaiming the full counsel of the Lord. The piercings, at times the rebuke, the correction, along with the encouragement. Thank you for this house, God, that's fervent for your word, more than for the things of culture. We love you, in Jesus' name. All God's people said? Love you guys. We'll see you. Thanks for tuning in today. To find out how to get more involved, go to reliancecommunity.org. Have a great week.